Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with Rebecca Weinberg, who is the winemaker at Quintessa here in the Napa Valley. Rebecca, I am so delighted to be sitting down with you today. This is like the perfect moment right now. Yeah, thank you for coming. It is a beautiful day. Well, let's dive right in and talk about your career. I read somewhere that you are a science geek. (laughs) You love chemistry and biology. You thought you were going to be a research biologist. Is this true? This is true. Yeah, I would, would definitely describe myself as a science geek. From an early age, I really enjoyed knowing why, like how things work and why. And I gravitated towards biology and science. I had a little chemistry set in the basement as a kid and read science news. Um, And I thought I would be a um, biologist. And I used to fantasize about where I would take my research trips. And I did uh, continue that on, um, even though I got the idea of being a winemaker when I was 16. So that was yes. sort of that first little And that's a great hint. story. You yeah, should, you it's should kind tell of a crazy it. story. So yeah, so I, I mean, up until that point, I was sure I was going to be a biologist, like maybe a cellular biologist, marine biologist, or do, do something. Just the question was, what would I do my PhD in? And it was uh, spring break. The family took a trip out to San Francisco, and we took a day trip up to Napa Valley. And I remember this very clearly, um, standing at the back of the tour, because of course I'm 16 years old, getting little secret sips of the wine, hearing about the process of winemaking and the transformation of grapes into wine and how they express place. And I just thought that this was something that I could do, that I could have the marriage between art and science. I could live in a beautiful place. I could be connected to nature and I could actually have a product to share at the end of it. And so that stuck with me as a possible career path. Um, But of course, I didn't know like any, I didn't know any winemakers. I didn't know any farmers. I had no idea. I didn't know any like wine collectors even. So I had no idea um, how that really happens. So I did end up going to undergraduate and studying chemistry and biology. And you went to undergraduate Minnesota. Yeah, so I went to a small liberal arts college in Minnesota called McAllister (laughs) College. You didn't go to California or... I was slowly (laughs) making my way out. I had dreamed of going to California, um, but I really loved this school. Mm -hmm. So it's a a great small school, um, liberal arts, but with a very strong science Um, program because you're that uh, science geek. Mm -hmm. So would you say that that spring break trip was the light bulb moment? Definitely. That's a great way to describe it. So everything from that point forward was to work towards working in the wine industry? Yes. I mean, if you're looking backwards from where we're sitting right now. now, it all seems like destined and very clear straight line path. Right. 
you know, like anyone else, when you're in the moment and when it's happening, if you're looking forward, it was, there was so many question marks and so many like coincidences that had to make it happen. Um, you know, at McAllister College, I um, went in to be a bio major, but I also really liked the chemistry program. So I studied chemistry as well. And I had a chemistry professor, um, Truman Schwartz, who I told about my interest in wine and Truman loves wine. He collects wine. And he was the person who told me how to make it reality. He told me that I should go work a harvest after graduation and then go to UC Davis. And I was like, okay. So now you had a plan. Now I had a plan. And if I had never met him, if I had not, if I had not been so naive to um, n- not realize how bad the winters in Minnesota were going <laughs> to be, um, this, I, you know, I might not be here today. I'm curious. Do you stay in touch with him? I do. Awesome. I do, yes. I awesome. Once you graduated, got a vast experience. You've worked in California, Oregon, Italy, New Zealand. Basically, you can make wine anywhere, right? Well, <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, one could make wine anywhere. Or yeah, good wine. I, yes. Um, I, I don't think I got all of my travel bug out, but I did. I mean, when you're starting out, so I went to UC Davis for the Viticulture and Enology right. program. And while I was there, I got introduced to an Italian wine. So I got introduced to this wine that I think is is directly responsible for me being here at Quintessa, which uh, the winery and the wine is called Ornelia. And this wine was just that aha moment. It was the first wine I ever had that spoke of place, even though I knew nothing about it when I tasted it. And it fascinated me. um, And that is why I went to go work in Italy is because I this one sip of wine. Um, Did you work at that one? I actually worked at Ornelia. I so love that it. was like even crazier um, <laughs> that that like I was inspired by this wine. I went and I took, I, so I came back to Davis. This was when I was at Davis, my right. first year. And I enrolled in, you know, the next day I enrolled in Italian 101. And I said, I'm going to go work in Italy after I finish um, all of my research. So finish my coursework. And I translated my resume and cover letter, and I sent it to every address I could find. Um, and the only people who called me back were Ornelia. So it was, it was yeah. destined. <laughs> it was destined to be. Destined. And that was, um, or is, this beautiful estate winery um, in Tuscany and taught me, really instilled in me this belief in what the role of a winemaker is, is that it's the, you're the kind of the connection, like the in-between between the place, the terroir, and the customer and the wine. And your role is to understand the place, understand what this estate, what this vineyard wants to be, and interpret that. So you're interpreting the geology, the soil, the climate, the variety in such a way that the wine in the bottle represents the place. Um, And that's what Ornelia taught me. And that's what I do here at Quintessa. So you landed at Quintessa here in 2015. That's correct. Yes. So you've been making wine here for about seven years. Seven years, yeah. And let's talk about that. Yeah, so that's, there's been some fun years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, most recently, yes. But how would you describe a Rebecca Weinberg wine? Ooh, well, if I've done my job correctly, hopefully you don't think I did anything at all. 
Um, but what I am looking for here and what I think that this, the, the true character of this place is, is a wine that has complexity and harmony, has layers of flavor, and has a combination of fruit and savory and earthy notes and um, just particularly speaks of this place. And so, you know, to that end, I, I've tried to kind of tone down my, what I think like the winemaker fingerprint. Um, and it's harder, harder to do than it is to say, um, to kind of take yourself out of it. But, but that is what I try to do. One of the things that I love about the Quintessa wine is while it has quite a few varietals in it, Cap Franc, Cab Merlot, Petit Bordeaux, and Carmenere. Yeah. Right. All of those. You select the best out of the best every harvest. Mm -hmm. And so the percentage is always different. And I find that fantastic. Yeah. Because it's what makes it truly a unique wine. So just uh, for our listeners to explain that a little further, you know, one year there could be 50% Cabernet and the next year maybe only 20%. It's just you select the best that you have. Yeah. So it starts with the vineyard because this Mm -hmm. is an estate. And so the percentages are are generally based on how the vineyard is planted which is based on on the the soils right um and so that kind of sets your baseline of of what you have and then every year um and so this is a let me sort of set the stage it's a 280 acre estate there's 160 acres of vineyard and it is quite diverse like napa valley is so cool because it's incredibly complex like geologic unit um so many different soil types so much happened to create this valley and napa um or quintessa is like a little microcosm of that and so you have these rolling hills and each of them represents um a change in the geology uh and and a kind of a variation so they all have a different character um Every year, depending on the season, so this is where your vintage gets into play, is that the different parts of the property in different blocks will perform better or worse because of the way that they react to that season. And so that is what determines the blend, is how each different part of the property, how each different block has shown itself in that year. Right. And it is fun. And I love that we don't say Cabernet Sauvignon on the label, and we don't... I, I mean, it's not a secret what the percentages are. I can right. I can look them up, um, but it is not like what the story is. You're just trying to express the character, and it's like people. Like I'm a I'm the same me I was ten years ago, but I'm also a different me um, because that each year changes you. Hmm, that's an interesting way to put it. Well, the current vintage is 2019. Yes. However, 2018, you got a 99 rating from James Suckling did. and sold out. I yes. heard pretty quickly. Yes. And we did on the 19 as well. Oh, um, awesome. So the 19, the official release, so where this is June, and the, the official release of the 2019 Quintessa is September 1st. Okay. Um, and so 2018 and 2019 are two of the most um, beautiful vintages we've, I think, like ever experienced and as a winemaker I've been in Napa for 18 years now and while we almost always have great years um, we have pretty 
we're, we're pretty blessed um, here in terms of the climate. There is something really special about 18 and 19. Um, so it's, it's going to be fun to share those wines. Wonderful. Have you had a mentor through the course of your career of becoming this amazing winemaker? I have. Um, I, uh, I would call Celia Welch my mentor. Um, Celia and I worked together at Bukela Winery, which is where I um, made wine prior to coming to Quintessa for six years. And she consulted with us. And it like to have, so, you know, mentors, they can have different types of mentorship. You can have someone who's really teaching you the nuts and bolts of what you do. Um, but I think like what the most powerful thing in this relationship is um, with Celia is that she's like showing me what's possible in terms of a path, um, how you talk about wine, but also how the, how you create a balanced life um, as a winemaker. It can be very, it can be all consuming um, to be in the wine industry and living in Napa Valley. And it can be hard to turn it off and to, you know, leave. And so it's in order to stay excited about what you do, you also have to like create, like protect your other boundaries. Like, right. (laughs) Boundaries, right. (laughs) It's critical. (laughs) So she's helped you with that. Um, and, and just showing me like what is possible, um, for a woman in this industry. On that topic, Mm -hmm. have you seen a change? women's roles in the industry? I have. Um, so when I started my first um, seller job here, I was um, the first female intern this winery had ever had in the cellar. So I was the first woman to ever be in that cellar. Wow. And I was lucky. The guys were great and very supportive. And, you know, I also knew how to draw boundaries <laughs> um, as well. But things have changed so much so fast. And I think it's really positive. Like, um, when I started, there weren't many women winemakers to look to, to see, like, how does one create a career? What does that look like? Um, and now there's so much more. So we have a ways to go uh, to become sort of, I think I think we'll be there when we're not women winemakers anymore. We're just winemakers. Right. Um, but it, I see great changes. Um, and it's only better for the wines and for the industry. Yeah. Absolutely. Top moment of your career so far? Oh, gosh. That's, mm, well, I mean, I hate to say it because I've always been like, well, you don't do what you do for outside accolades, but we just got 100 points for the 2019 Quintessa, and I have to admit that's pretty gratifying. That is fantastic. From Wine Enthusiast, and so that's, uh, yeah, that's been pretty nice. You should be proud. (laughs) Not very many people get a 100-point wine. no. Yeah, be, uh, didn't plast- expect it. Yeah, plastering that up <laughs> on the wall, <laughs> framing it or something. Fantastic! Congratulations. Thank you. Now the bar's set higher. You expected to get hundred oh. points every year. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. Sorry. Every year is different. Ninety nine. Yeah, every year is different. You're getting ninety nines and the hundreds now. Are the expectations to keep those ratings up? Well, I certainly hope so. I think that it's the, what is gratifying about like receiving scores. And I, you know, this is me personally, like I'm a classic second child, so I'm not very um, motivated by uh, pleasing authority figures. Like I wasn't, 
not very motivated by grades in school, but I'm motivated by what I like to learn. Sure. And so what is nice is that the reviews are um, because that the wine is being understood um, and they are by people that I respect. And so, yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of stressful to be like, well, you, now what? Um, but it's because the a state has reached a maturity level and the wine has reached a kind of level of purity and understanding. And so even though vintages are going to change and, you know, honestly, 2020, 2021, I mean, they're beautiful wines, but we do have challenging vintages. And so not every vintage is going to be perfection. Right. Um, The conditions are different every year. So you have to work with what you're given. Yes. Correct. (laughs) So we talked about the Quintessa wine, which, of course, I'm a huge fan of. But you were kind enough to pour us a little bit of Illumination, which is a beautiful white wine, Sauvignon Blanc. So yeah, uh, so you make more than the Quintessa wine. Yeah. So at Quintessa, we only make two wines. Um, Illumination is our white wine. And because it's such a warm day, I thought this would be a nice a nice refresher. Um, and so this is the partner to Quintessa, and it's a Sauvignon Blanc Semillon blend. It's it's beautiful. It's very wonderful. Total production here. So total production, I, I said 160 acres of right. vineyard. Um, we have been bottling between like 10 and 12,000 cases of Quintessa historically. We've been doing some replants. So as we get to full maturity of the vineyard, we should be able to do a little bit more than that. And then illumination is about 3,000 cases. Teeny yeah. tiny. It's teeny tiny. Yeah. Okay. Looking at your crystal ball, where do you anticipate you'll be in five or ten years from now? Oh, well. Do I you mean, have career goals? What's your I career do. goal? I do. I mean, I've, this is working with an estate and being connected to a place has been my goal. Um, and so I I hope I'm here continuing to deepen that relationship. Um you have to admit, like, sometimes I have these existential crises because this is where I am right now has been my goal for the last, you know, 20 years. Right. And now that I'm here, like, now what? what? what now what? <laughs> yeah, now what? <laughs> now what? <laughs> I've achieved the objective. <laughs> and I'm really happy. <laughs> and now I'm making 99 and 100 point wines. So, yeah, I think that. And then, you know, hopefully, like, more travel, reading books, um, retirement. At some point. Early retirement would be okay. nice. Okay. Well, she's way too young for a retirement. So. But maybe. <laughs> Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. Well, let's shift on to your personal life. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Washington, D.C. Okay. Born and raised. Yeah. Born and raised. Did you ever think you'd be a California girl? I did. I had hoped. I hoped. <laughs> I had a um, unrealistic vision of what California was. I thought it was like Baywatch. Oh, um, right. Well, that's Southern California. That's Southern California, but I never lived in Southern California. So, no, I did always have this fantasy. If you're from, maybe it was just me, but I think if you're from the East Coast and growing up, California is this like jewel of the west and it, it it holds this mythical place where anything is possible and you know cultural change and music and beach um and so i i did think that i did hope to move to california so when you 
finally made it to the Napa Valley. How did you choose to move to the town of Napa versus Yountville, St. Helena? So um, I live in Old Town Napa, so I live in downtown Napa. Um, My husband works in Berkeley. And so we were actually, when I came back from Italy, I was living with him. And so this was really early in my career. This was 20 years ago. And uh, I was like, well, I'm going to go work a harvest in Napa and get that great Napa experience. And he said, well, why don't we just rent a plate? Why don't we move up there? And I was like, I I never occurred to me that he's, this was my boyfriend at the time. And he's like, why don't I move up there? I was like, okay, wow. You'll do the, you'll commute and I'll be in Napa. I mean, it's kind of halfway to jobs. Um, But I hadn't really thought about settling in Napa um, at that time. And so it just worked out for us because he would drive to Berkeley for work and then I would drive up Valley. Does he still do that today? Well, since COVID, he doesn't have to do the drive anymore. Um, And when we started, the drive was like 45 minutes each way and then it got to be over an hour. So it got Traffic. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it sort of became unpleasant. Um, he's a good sport, though. <laughs> he he must be. He made that nice made, offer yeah. <laughs> to I know to move to Napa. So you live in Old Town Napa, which mm-hmm. is really um, turning. I don't know how it was when you moved there, oh, but it's yeah, really turning it wasn't out much. Turning out to be quite charming now. It is very very charming, yeah. and the town of Napa has truly come into its own. It is, so it it's is great the, to see, yeah. The place to be. So if we take a step inside your home, mm-hmm. what would we see? What's your decorating style? So the home is a nineteen twenties California bungalow. Um so there is a lot of um unpainted wood. Um so like wood beams. Mm-hmm. Uh so it's not a craftsman, but we, it's a craftsman style. style right. Um so that's what you would see bright uh, Away. tribal rugs, like gabe rugs and like uh, craftsman furniture. Color scheme? Lots of blue. We both love blue. Navy? Light blue? No, like cobalt, cobalt oh, blue. Yeah, okay. so like different kinds of blue. But I realize that we keep on buying blue couches and <laughs> lots of blue, blue stuff. <laughs> Gotta mix it up. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you need an accent color yeah. in there, right? <laughs> when you kick back and relax, what room do you gravitate to? It's a small house, uh, so I probably gravitate to the front room um, and sit on the couch and listen to music. And what kind of music do you like? Oh, so I like, okay, I like a lot of different kinds of music, but I really do like classic rock and jam bands. Um, And so that is my favorite. Um, My husband is more like um, electronic, like EDM. Tell me a couple of your favorite groups. Oh, Grateful Dead. Oh, okay. Of course. Okay. Uh, widespread Panic, um, who are coming to Napa soon. Okay. Um, so, you know, the usual. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't listen to much of that, so I can't say. I know Grateful Dead, yeah. but I didn't know the widespread the other group that's coming fish. to Napa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to educate me. We, of course, are in Napa. Is wine country. Other than your own wine here what do you like to drink at home are you a wine girl or do you have the occasional cocktail or beer well i don't i actually don't drink a lot of beer i do drink a lot of wine and cocktails and some cocktails i tend to be i like to be varied so it depends on how i'm feeling if i've had a really long day at work 
it means that I've been tasting a lot of Cabernet and like big red wine. And so I'll want high acid white wine at home. Um, so like a Riesling or a Loire Sauvignon Blanc, so a, a Sancerre. And then I also like, we have living in wine country, like you, you're just like surrounded by riches and, and opportunities. So I really like to try small production, little wines. So going to like um, local store, like backroom wines, does oh, a really right. good job with like mm-hmm. little one-off projects. Um, and I just got connected to uh, Tara Jane Albee's, her, it's called Own Root Collective. And she focuses and, and talks and shares these little winemaker side projects. So these little like 50 case production Cabernet Pfeiffer, like crazy stuff. Um, or sometimes not as crazy, but right. it's just really cool and different and interesting. Oh. Um, and so I've been playing around with a lot of those wines. Well, I'm kind of intrigued by that. Yeah. You should check it out. I think I might have to. Not that you have a lot of free time, but do you have a hobby? Do you collect anything? I collect rocks, like that I pick up in the vineyard. I have since <laughs> I was like a kid. So I'm trying to. Cl- my you husband- have a bowl of rocks at home? No, I've something? like had them in all like the windowsills, and my husband gave- and I have them in my office here. And my husband did give in there in my car. He gave me a little bit of a talking to about like maybe you just choose your favorite rocks, and we can like clean up all the rest of them. <laughs> so yeah. Like okay. That kind of collecting rocks. So you're a rock collector. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you might be the first rock collector I know. No, I'm sure a lot of people. When you see like they these might volcanic all be rocks, rock, yeah. rock collectors. <laughs> like who can see obsidian and not want to take it? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Other than rock collecting, is there something that people might be surprised to learn about yeah. you? Um, Did you do something crazy as a child? Do you skydive? Do I you rappel? Flying trapeze. So, um, yeah. So I haven't been doing Did it much. Did you perform much. in a circus? No, 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 no. <laughs> so I haven't been, I have to be honest, I have not been doing it very much in the last couple of years. So I... Okay, wait. First of all, you have to tell me how you got started on this. So there was a... Who uh, did this to you? <laughs> so my husband got me a flying trapeze class as a birthday present, gosh, maybe like husband. 10 years ago. <laughs> yes. So um, it's not as random as all that. Or it, it's likely that I would have enjoyed it. So it was a good present for me. I was a springboard diver as a kid. Okay. Um, so I did some springboard diving. That's actually how I met my husband on the swim team in college. I was okay. a diver. He was a swimmer. And so it's not unrealistic to think that I would enjoy jumping off of things and swinging around and flipping. And so I loved it. And uh, there's a circus arch gym in Oakland uh, that I would go to once or twice a week for years and do flying trapeze. Unfortunately, it, well, first also COVID hit. And then, and actually I hurt my shoulder. So getting old is no pleasure uh, for some of these physical things. But I, the gym closed down. And so it's been harder to practice this hobby. Um, but if you ever want to go, there is a flying trapeze rig that has opened that's uh, outdoor, beautiful, uh, just north of the square in Sonoma. Oh. It's called the Sonoma Trapeze Club. Um, and it's, so some of my instructors from Oakland have like opened this rig back up. So it's, it's a lot of fun. A lot closer. Yeah. Closer. Of. But <laughs> yeah. Outside. Outside. Yeah. Does it's it have a, a big net underneath it you? It has I a hope. very big net underneath <laughs> you, and you have a belt and rope, so it is safe. Have you tried it yet? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been going there. It's just that they only uh, are able to host classes now on Saturdays. And so oh. it's just harder to get going. Coordinate. Yeah. Okay. Well, that definitely But if you want to go with me, oh, are you interested? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Let me think about that. Do you have to take Dramamine or something? No. Well, no, like, not, I'm not afraid of height. So that part uh, doesn't, bother, doesn't you. bother me. That was the diver. I got used right, to that. You're the diver. I got used I'm to not that. sure. I'd be one of those people you'd get on, like if you're going to jump off a cliff, I'd get to the cliff and I'd just go jump. You know, you yeah. just jump. You just don't think about nope, it. Yeah. But if you, but it would be the standing and thinking about it. And I'm afraid the trapeze part is like standing and thinking about it. Well, you have it right though. What you need to do is is not think. Is and this is true. This this is something I learned in diving. I was not a great diver. I just enjoyed it. Um, but I was, and I still am. I feel like so she's underrating herself. Scared. <laughs> like I have so much fear of it. But you have to learn to just say one, two, three, and go. Do it. And you go on three. Just um, and I think that's like an important life lesson. Like there's a lot of fear that you have. You were always worried about things, but then you do it and. It's never as bad. Like falling is never as bad as you thought it was going to be. Like you don't, for diving, like you'd smack, say, on the water, but it was never that bad. It's not that bad. (laughs) It's not that bad. You know, and so you're always more afraid of the thing. It's the anticipation. It's the anticipation. And so you just need to go one, two, three, and go. Jump off the cliff. I mean, make sure there's something underneath that's safe. (laughs) Okay. Well, moving on. (laughs) When you have company come to town, other than possibly trapeze. (laughs) flying what are some some i'm sure there's a lot of places that you would recommend but what are maybe three things that three places that you tell your friends that they can't miss okay so i mean it's hard because there's so many great places and things to do in napa whether it's food wineries i eat a lot i do my life around food so i would say you go to contimo provisions in napa and you get a biscuit sandwich um, the ham and jam is my favorite. And then you, I mean, of course you go visit wineries, um, but go hiking. We have some beautiful hiking here and some, you can pretty easily get an incredible view. So going up skyline or the Oat Hill mine trail is beautiful. Um, both a park to get some redwoods without actually having to do more than really a five mile loop. Um, and so you can get outside here pretty easily. Um, and that's something that, uh, I think not having grown up in Northern California, I really appreciate that about Northern California. Those are some great tips. Yeah. So you eat a a very unhealthy biscuit and then you go work it (laughs) out. Go for a hike (laughs) and, and take in some incredible views. And then. The next day you go to a few wineries, like maybe Quintessa. Yes. Right? Well, we're going to wrap things up now with five quick questions. They're random. I doubt you'll have any problems (laughs) with them. First question, what kind of car do you drive? I drive a Subaru. All right. What is your favorite flower? Oh, probably Lily. Okay. What's the last song... That you have danced to with your husband, or maybe a favorite song that you like to dance with your husband oh, to. You know, I love this man to death, but he does not dance. <laughs> okay, your wedding song. How about that? We didn't. Oh my goodness. Okay, we'll we'll have it. <laughs> so a, I just dance by myself. <laughs> oh jeez. Oh my goodness. 
Okay, he can go back and forth, you know. The yes, that he does. He does. He does the back and forth. <laughs> yes. Okay, and you'd so go, our song would be. Um, I'm gonna get one. Uh, Shining out Star by. Uh, I'm blanking now on the name. This is like a classic um, R&B song. Well, you got the title. Yeah, Shining Star. Let's go with that. Yeah, I won't okay. sing it. The uh, fourth question: What is in your nightstand? Books that I intend to read. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of one of those people too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you remember any titles? Sure. I've Dirt by David Montgomery. I have The Parable of the Sower wow, uh, by Octavia Butler, which is I am actually reading, um, which is like uh, kind of scary. It's oh. uh, too real. It was written years ago, and it's just very accurate. Now. Oh, okay. Well, that's kind of scary. Okay. And then a whole bunch of other books that are like like good for me, like the vegetables of books. Oh, okay. <laughs> Last question. What's your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. I like the meal. Aww. Well, Rebecca, you have been too much fun to chat with today. I've really enjoyed our time together. I've enjoyed it too. Thank you. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.